Amen. Let's, let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we come and we wait in silence. We wait for you and we look to you because we know that from you and you alone comes salvation. We know that salvation is found alone in Christ our Lord. He is indeed the Savior of the world. And in the midst of this time, in the midst of all times to come, He is the only hope for our world, for our country, and for the countries, for the nations, for the peoples, for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We don't look to our own hands. We don't look to ourselves. Because if we would do that, our hope is gone. Because we have no hope that can come from us. It must come from you. And so we look to you this morning, O oh Lord. We, we come and our hearts have been grieved and broken in many ways over these last weeks. In view of everything that's been happening and we cry out to you, Lord. And we pray that you would, you would answer. And you would help the gospel to go out. You'd help Christ to be proclaimed. You would help justice to come into the land. We ask for your hand, Lord. For you are a rock and our salvation, our fortress. And it is because of you and you alone that we shall not be greatly shaken. And for those who are in Christ, even as we lament... And even as we rightly grieve over all these things, we know that ultimately we are too not shaken because we have a great shepherd who is tending to his sheep and caring for us. And not just us here, but us throughout the world. Your body. We thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so kind. And how you lavish upon us so many graces and so many good things. And most importantly of all, your love through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that every one of us would look to you this morning as our hope and as our only rock, our fortress our rest, our glory. Help us trust in you at all times. And even as we ought to do, may we pour out our heart to you, O Lord God, because you are our refuge. And that's right. So help us, Father, we pray and bless now as we turn to your word. May you open our hearts fully to it. May you help us, Lord, to not walk against the truths that are found from your God-breathed inspired word. So help us 
And we look to you this morning and we trust and entrust the remainder of our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you all are very aware of, you know, friends, this is, these have been some difficult weeks. And no doubt, it's been a difficult year. You know, I began the year, if you were here with us, preaching through the book of Habakkuk. And little did I know just how apt that message of Habakkuk would be for us, for what was ahead in 2020. I mean, I had no idea what was coming. You had no idea what was coming. But God knew, and God still knows. And so we, we see His mercy and setting before us prior to any of these things that have come these last weeks and this year. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, which directs us and continues to press us on to what? To rejoice in our God even now. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And it has certainly felt like a no food and no herds kind of year. Well, this week I, I came home Wednesday and I was deeply troubled by everything that has been going on over these last few weeks. And I, you know, a, a deep grief settled over me. It's not a hopeless grief, even as I just prayed. My hope is Christ. But we see it's right for the saints to lament. We look at the Psalms. We look at lamentations. Then it is right for his children to cry out to God and to lament and grieve over the things going on in our world right now. So I grieved. And I wrestled with you know, what I would be preaching today, um, and what we should hear from the Word of God this morning in light of the last few weeks that we've had. So, Lord willing, next week we will continue in the Gospel of John, but this morning we will be in the letter of James. And so, here. This letter, it is my attempt at setting forth a challenge from God's word for us and for all listening to let the gospel deeply challenge us during this time. And so more specifically, so taking what James chapter 2 says here and bringing it to bear upon ourselves and hearing it, that we would come and hear the call for us as well, that he comes and challenges partiality. And that then we would challenge partiality in ourselves and in our churches and our world 
with the gospel. With the gospel. So if you would then turn with me to James chapter 2. And I will read from verses 1 through 13. May we just humbly come under the word of God this morning. May we uh, come ready to receive his word. May God grant us ears to hear his word and hear it and then to live it out. And so may God bless the reading of his word. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, so speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So broadly here, as we take in these verses, we see three points here regarding partiality. And the first of the three is this. Partiality contradicts the gospel. Partiality contradicts the gospel. So to be clear here, we need to ask, you know, what is James talking about? So what is partiality? So partiality or favoritism, it happens when we let something about the appearance of a person affect the way that we receive them. And so the the word, it literally means according to face or receive according to face. So although, and I'll just say that partiality, favoritism, appearance, but it goes deep as well into the heart into the attitudes, into the valuing or devaluing of others. So although James here is expressly addressing social and economic partiality here, the partiality condemned here extends into 
any form of partiality or favoritism based on appearances. So this point comes right on the heels of chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So true religion bridles the tongue. True religion cares for the downtrodden and downcast. And true religion aims to be unstained by the world. And this is the opposite of the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality uses the tongue to devalue or even value someone else above some another person. They use their tongue to sin. They don't care for those who are downtrodden and downcast or oppressed. It is stained by the world. And so partiality is coming off the heels of chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, expressly verse 27 at the end. It comes as a stain of the world. It is an effect of embracing the world and not denying the world. It is kissing the fall and sin rather than mortifying it. So we have had and will continue to have the stain of the fall until Christ returns. And the world will bear its scars and wounds and tears until then. But that doesn't make the sin of partiality okay. And we'll see here from these verses just how grave the sin of partiality is in God's sight. So partiality is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of an appropriate application of the gospel, nor is it a fruit of churches that churches should have on their tree. So one outflow of partiality, looking at someone based on their appearance, valuing or devaluing them, is racism. Racism is a contradiction to the gospel. And it is vitally important that we as believers, amidst everything that is going on in the United States right now, that we, as the body of Christ, that we above all be clear on this. The Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, he said it well. He said, if I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition, every portion of the truth of God, except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. And so we, as the body of Christ with great diligence, we must not flinch, but take up the charge to make clear the church's stance on racism and the gospel. And to that we say, here with James, that racism, as an extension of partiality, contradicts the gospel. It is a blight 
and blot upon people made in the image of God. This gospel, the gospel is not a gospel limited to the pigment of someone's skin. The church of Christ is not a kingdom simply for those who fit certain economic, racial, ethnic, or gender requirements. Partiality for any of these contradicts the very beginning words we have here, the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So this is not a gospel, even as we've seen in the epistles with Paul and Peter. He does not limit it to Jews and exclude Gentiles. And so, if you remember in Galatians, Paul, he finds out, of course, these circumcision party, the Judaizers, are saying you must circumcise yourselves, something about you you have to do in order to be saved. Christ is not sufficient. And then Paul, he hears about Peter and how Peter, this circumcision party, comes in and he begins shying away from the Gentiles in fear and expressing a form of partiality. And so after saying in Galatians 2, Paul, he said, to them, the circumcision party, chapter 2, verse 5 of Galatians, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We didn't even give them room to say, here are the worthy or here are the unworthy. It is Christ people need. And so Paul, he comes and he says to Peter, correcting him, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he, he corrects the apostle Peter. We will not lose the gospel because of you, Peter. So along with Paul, we need to say and remember well that right now, if you know Christ, it is only because of grace through faith. You are not a Christian because of anything in you or anything because of you. And if you're hearing this and you don't know Christ, hear it well. It's not anything that you have or you can or would do, but it is entirely because of undeserved, unearned, unmerited grace. Grace! Do you not want that? You want to work your way to heaven? When you want to try to earn this? When the weight of sin is so terribly much for us, so impossibly much for us, And grace is extended to any and all through him. And so this gets at the depth of the contradiction of partiality. The letter of James is one of the strongest and boldest letters, in my opinion, in the New Testament. We certainly have many places in the New Testament where there are uh, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and other places as well, but James... Time and time again is 
rebuking and correcting and calling the church to repentance. Such that here he is essentially saying, those who know Christ only because of grace would now be graceless? You would be merciless? And this is a gospel that is unmerited, undeserved, unearned? You receive mercy? May it never be. So partiality is a stain upon the gospel. And when the world enters the church, it begins mingling and redefining who the worthy are and who the unworthy are. Just like the circumcision party was doing. And so James... He elucidates this by giving us this example here of the rich man and the poor man. So James, he is expressly addressing this issue here between the rich and the poor. And likewise, we bring it to bear upon anything that would taste of partiality. And so we can imagine what this would look like today in the scenario that James gives here. So, you know, say someone comes into our church, like a visitor, and comes into the worship service, you know, and they're, they're obviously well off. And they, are, they are wealthy. They're wearing the finest of jewelry and clothing and perhaps even intent upon drawing attention to themselves and their status and their power. Contrast Lord of glory to their glory. You see my glory? How glorious I am, everyone in the congregation. But then comes in this poor person. And he is, you know, destitute, wearing shabby clothing that is dirty, filthy, and foul. I mean, the way they're thinking, well, if if he sits in our pew, he's going to get that pew dirty. You know, he'll he'll make it stink. We don't want, want that here. So welcome is the refrain for the rich man, but woe is the refrain for the poor man. And the rich man might be, you know, if we had a best seat in the sanctuary, he would be brought forward to that best seat in the sanctuary, the most honored place you can sit. While the poor person, they look over at him and they say, oh, you're still there? (laughs) Well, you go sit over here. Actually, you know what? Just go and sit on the floor. That way you won't get the pews dirty. We don't don't want you uh, just probably the back corner would be good. And we hear all this, and you put that right beside the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you see how contrary this is to the way that God has treated beggars like us. He saved a wretch like who? Like me. I mean, and think of this. You know, we have the Old Testament, God choosing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and forming a people, the Israelites, These are his people. And he emphasizes how we'll go out into the nations, to the Gentiles. And then we come into the New Testament as well. And think right now, and raise your hand if not specifically, but how many of you are Jews here? Ethnic ethnic Jews. My wife at home will be raising her hand. She's Jewish. But think about that. That means we're all just Gentiles. 
Right? The mercy of God on display in us meeting together. Mercy, saving a wretch like me. And he did. And saving a wretch like you. So we see this is, this is foreign to the gospel. And so partiality, it forgets how dirty, filthy, and foul we were prior to Christ. And the grace of God in Christ is maligned and it is forgotten. Instead, we are to be a kingdom distinct from the world. We are to be a kingdom distinct from the world. So when you came to Christ, you entered a kingdom where the culture is not defined by appearances or status, but is defined primarily by Christ. That is why, no matter where you go in America or the world, no matter who, what, where you are, you have more in common with a believer who knows Jesus Christ, a brother or sister in Christ, whether they're from China or Africa or Australia or South America, than an unbelieving family member who shares your own blood. We come commonly in the culture of Jesus Christ and He unites all of us together as the one body of Christ across the nations and across history. Galatians 3.28 It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So whoever you are, whatever your background, ethnicity, race or social status or male or female, all are welcome into this kingdom through faith in this king. This is not a white or black gospel. It's not a Russian or American gospel. It is not a male or female gospel. It is a gospel for all people everywhere. And this brings us then to the second point. The gravity of partiality. God does not take lightly the sin of partiality. And we see three reasons for this here that James gives us. So first, the first reason, doesn't take it lightly. It's grave in his sight. It rebels against the king of the kingdom. It rebels against the king of the kingdom. So James, he often draws here from Jesus And even more specifically, he draws from the Sermon on the Mount. And if you were uh, tuning in carefully as I read the passage, you could hear little echoes of the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we've been going through on Wednesdays. And so uh, we've seen that the poor are heirs of the kingdom. So verse 5, and then think of Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then for judgment in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Then, Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus is declaring the values of his kingdom, and he is the one who is king. Which makes sense, then, of the word that James uses here. So he uses both, when he looks back, both to Old Testament law, and he looks forward to the fact that Jesus Christ is king, the law of Christ. And so he says, and this is why he talks of this royal or kingly law here in verse 8. And who is our king? Jesus Christ. And the king of the kingdom of Christ is calling his children, as he does also in Matthew 22, to love your neighbor as yourself. Because we have been free through our king, we love as our king. And we can freely love as he freely loves us. And this is exactly not what racism does. It is, exact, it is exactly not what partiality does. Partiality undermines and undercuts love. Racism undermines and undercuts love by elevating or devaluing one race above another in contradiction to the God who said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So partiality would have left the woman at the well. Partiality would have told the royal official, who are you to ask me to heal your son? But that's not the Jesus of Scripture. God made man in his image such that Jesus contradicts the cultural paradigms that undermine the dignity of human life. Every person is made in God's image such that Cain murdering Abel and his blood was despicable in God's sight. And the many murders and atrocities that follow that to this very day are just as heinous. Every life. And so we grieve at the images of a police officer putting his knee on George Floyd's neck until he died. And we grieve seeing the murder of this man made in God's image. Partiality contradicts the gospel and rebels against the king who has made all people in his image. Also, another reason partiality is serious and grave is partiality breaks the whole law. Along with adultery and murder here, so James, he gives these as two examples, but he also brings it to bear upon partiality, and partiality breaks the whole law. And so one pastor compared James' point here to taking a hammer and smashing it through a window. So regardless of where you hit the window... It breaks the whole thing. And in the same way, here with the sin of partiality. And this then adds, thirdly, the gravity of partiality that we see here is that it will result in judgment. It will result in judgment. So it is doubly condemned here by James. It is condemned by the law, 
And it is condemned by the gospel. So James says, you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So the law, and then it's also condemned by the gospel. You profess that declares for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So James, he confronts what we would rather, you know, perhaps push under the rug. But partiality is serious. Racism is serious. It will mean God's judgment for you. So how, how should we respond to this? So what are we to do with these points from James Live according to the Lord of glory. We're to live according to the Lord of glory. That means that we must face down partiality and face down racism in our hearts as we hold our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We must face down partiality and racism as contrary to gospel love, contrary to gospel mercy, and contrary to the God who made us in His image. And we are to live according to the law of liberty and dispel the stains of the world in the body of Christ. In our hearts, in our lives, wherever it is found. And so we serve Christ and do not and are not to go about fearing men Which James is emphasizing that as well. Lord of glory. He is the one worthy to be feared. And you're fearing the rich. When he is supposed to be your king. So not fearing men and what they may say about our mercy proclaiming and mercy living ways. Nor do we live desiring the power of men like the rich man here. But we live according to Christ. We worship and fear Christ. Him who is the Lord of glory. So, let's challenge partiality and racism in ourselves. We must uproot anything in us that elevates one race above another or devalues the life of another. Let the glorious, gracious, and merciful gospel be firmly planted there in its stead. So we need to pray over this as individuals. We need to grieve over this as individuals. And we need to repent from this as individuals. And then let's challenge partiality and racism in our churches. I've seen this. I remember preaching at a church, I won't say where, but hearing some of my interracial friends came and were attending the service and afterward I found out that one of the, the deacons said if that, that couple ever comes back to this church, I'm going to personally escort them out of the building. So, it exists. And we need to challenge it. Let us gladly teach all of God's word and teach and preach the gospel is for all peoples from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. 
And, you know, discuss this with your families. You know, it's so easy just to think that our children are going to get it. They're just going to kind of imbibe what we're thinking. But unless we teach them, as we're called to do, they won't necessarily... You know, during our family devotions this week, we sat down as a family and we discussed the riots and, you know, according to their age. We discussed George Floyd. We discussed the image of God. We discussed the gospel. And we discussed our need to love all people. Friends, hiding from our children the reality of the sinful world is not what we need to be doing. They need to know how to respond to a world that they're going right into. That is all around them right now. They need to know that not only are there sinners out there, there are sinners in here. That they need the gospel. And we as parents need to talk with our children and tell them these things. And then lastly, let's challenge partiality and racism. In our world. So welcome. Befriend. Build relationships with and don't withdraw from engaging all with all people. Be a merciful people. Live it out. You're hearing it from me. But that's not enough. It's got to be in our lives. We are to reflect And display Christ and show the world the lavish love of God that He has for the nations. And we are to love our neighbors. Our world is broken, fallen, sinful, and it is desperately in need of the light of Christ. And we, we have the privilege of proclaiming it to one and all. So let us, let us gladly do it. As servants of Christ. And you may be hearing all of this. And you, you've went through these last few weeks. And you are just lost in the midst of the news. You're lost in the midst of the riots. You're lost in the midst of the murder of George Floyd and everything else. And you wonder, where is hope? I mean, I, I get that our nation needs to respond. But is that going to finally put a device, decisive Answer on all these things? Well, we surely need to respond as a nation. But the decisive answer is only Christ. The sin problem that persists across the decades of history, throughout every age, where Cain comes and murders his brother, where Jews oppress Gentiles and Look at Samaritan women and say, scum. And men like Hitler arise and lead a holocaust of all variety of people. The answer is Christ. So let me tell you, in the midst of your lostness, in the midst of your confusion, Jesus is the answer and that's not It's not just a nice phrase to say, it's true. Come to him who takes in the weary, the heavy laden, the lost, 
him who comes and takes in sinners and him who came to reconcile those who are severed and separated from God and he would demonstrate his love for us in coming and dying being buried and rising again victorious because it's all true that you may be justified, declared righteous, all your sins forgiven, all your guilt paid for, all your shame done away through Christ in Christ alone. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is through Him and faith in Him alone that you can have life and rest and peace even in the midst of the days we're in. Just like Habakkuk said we could in Habakkuk 3. He is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our salvation. And he has come and broken down the wall of hostility, reconciling Jew and Gentile through his cross, killing the hostility and bringing peace to any and all who repent and trust in him. And so if you're listening to this and you don't know him this morning, the call is for you to trust in this Savior. And he will save you and save you to the uttermost. Let's pray. Father, I realize that James and his negative exhortations that we can hear these things and say, but pastor, you only gave and set before me the sin of partiality. Father, help us, Lord, to not hear your commands to repent and to deal with our own hearts and flee from them, but instead may we run to you in them. Every command and every word from your word is a merciful rebuke. Even as we saw last week, we need this. We need the rod of discipline and we need to kiss the rod. And we ask, Father, that we would this morning, we would Take these words and bring them to bear and bring them uh, upon, to bear upon our hearts, upon our churches and upon our world. May you help us, Father. And we ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here who's been listening who doesn't know Christ, we ask that you would even now help them to see the one who's come to save sinners. May they turn and repent and believe in Him. And even now, Father, I pray as we sing this final song, may you deal with our hearts, deal with us as we've heard from your word. And may we respond to your word by your grace. In Jesus' name, 